Good morning. Good to go. Thank you so much. I just wanted to take the time to um, say thank you so much to the pastors for allowing me this opportunity. Um, thanks for showing up, even though that you knew Michael wasn't preaching. I appreciate that. So like Michael said, um, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 40. Um, one thing too, um, as Michael said, there's a lot of nerves right now for me, but also too, I just want to, I don't write sermons, and your pastors write sermons every week. Pray for them. Pray for them as they write sermons, because it's hard. So it was just a good, it was just a good lesson for me that we as a body who are being fed so well for, from our pastors who love the Lord and, and love the text that they're preaching, we should pray for them. Pray for them as they uh, are preparing sermons for us. Anyway, if you wouldn't mind, please stand as we read the text this morning. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 40. This is what the text says. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as, as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, and there is no other besides him. Out of heaven he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he lets you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land, to give you uh, their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no other besides you. Thank you that there is no other besides you. God, thank you that the fact that there is no other, yet we were here right now, worshiping you, loving you. Thank you for giving us your word, Father. I pray that you will be with me uh, as I preach your word. God, I pray that I will preach your words, not mine. Father, I pray that your glory will be the highest end uh, today, Lord. I pray that we will see your glory, your power, and your honor. Uh, and it's in Jesus' name, God help me. Amen. You may be seated. So before we, uh, we get started here, I just wanted to tell you a little story. This is a personal story. Some of you may know this, but uh, this is a story about how I met my wife. Um, actually, Kara, who's with us, was actually instrumental in me meeting my wife. But it was, uh, uh, we, were at, we were in college, we went to Boyce, and we had these things. It was like ice cream socials, whatever. And Kara um, introduced Megan to me. And I was like, oh, wow. This girl, she got dark hair. She's pretty. Like, it's a wrap. It's over. That's really not how it went. Um, that's not how it went at all. I kind of ignored her a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry, but it worked out. Um, 
so we met after that. We just kind of found ourselves in the same circles, and we just hung out. We became friends, and uh, we were like, okay, I like him. I like her. Let's see where this goes. That's cool. So we started hanging out, and I think that's where it was a shift for me is when I really got to know who she was. When we went through, when we went through trials, uh, even though I only, my first date I took her to was Walmart to get some chips. She's, that's what I'm saying. She's gracious to me. But anyway, so it was, it was through our relationship of when we started dating. And just to be honest, we just saw hurt in each other's lives. A lot of it. And we went through a lot of hurt together. And not just us, but like family stuff. For both of us, it was hard, really hard at that time. And it's when we really became to know each other. And for real, I just realized, yo, she cares for me. She pushed me. She asked me hard questions. She wanted me to love Jesus more. And so after a few months, I remember I went back home and I visited uh, the church that I, that back home in Lancaster. Um, and I talked to my youth pastor. His name is Virgil. Um, and I said, yo, if the Lord allows it, I think I'm going to marry this girl. Like, God has been so kind to give this girl to me. Um, and thankfully, I, I was able to. And in the covenant that we made with each other, and I just realized there is no other for me. I made a covenant with my bride, and I made a covenant to keep it. And there is no one else forsaking all others. And brothers and sisters, I know it breaks down in a sense, but how much more, how much more of us with the Lord? There is no other. There is no other for us. He loves and he cares for us. And, and I, again, I know it breaks down in a sense because it was God's graciousness that he chose us to see that. So I want to show you in the text this morning, simply this, there is no other for you. And because of God's actions in our lives and in the lives of Israel and Israel, and we see in scripture that there is no other. And because there is no other, we have to be obedient to this, to this God. And not only do we have to, but it's in our best interest to, because it's the best option for us. Okay, so that's where I'm, gonna, that's where I'm going here. Um, I got three points for you. First, being asked of the days of the past, and we're going to take a look at verse 32. Secondly, he is like no other, and that we're going to take a look at verse um, 33 through 36, sorry, 38. And then lastly, there is no other, so be faithful to him, and that's verses 39 through 40. So we're jumping right into Deuteronomy here, so let me give you a little background and give you just a little uh, history of the book of Deuteronomy here. So Deuteronomy is a narrative of three addresses that Moses gave to Israel when they're in the Jordan Valley, okay? So we're in the Jordan Valley. Uh, this is before Moses' death. Um, the book is structured where we are is in a historical prologue, so Moses is, a, is recounting a lot that Israel has already seen the Lord do. Um, so chapters 1 through 3 highlight. So after they left Horeb, after getting the Ten Commandments, um, and then Chapter 2 focuses on here. Um, I don't know if you remember the story before, after they got the Ten Commandments and the Lord commands them, go and take the land of the Amorites. And they were like, no way. They're really tall. I'm scared. And Moses is like, don't you see where God's been with you this entire time? Like, go take the land. And they were like, no. And then they're like, okay, so they didn't. And then God says, all right, so now you're going to go in the wilderness for 40 years. And like, oh, wait. God's with us. We will go fight the Amorites. And the Lord was like, I'm not going to be with you. 
I'm not, I'm not going to fight for you. So they still went out and fought, and they lost. So they're in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, and then also, too, <clears throat> excuse me, um, this also, also foreshadows just the fact of Moses uh, encouraging um, Joshua, who's going to lead them into the land because Moses is not able to go into the land um, because of the unfaithfulness of Israel to the Lord. Um, so that's what we've all seen. Um, one thing that I want to point out that is, that, is, that is referenced a lot in our text is a theophany uh, at, Mount Sinai, at Horeb. Um, and so by theophany, what I mean is a visible uh, manifestation of God. Um, so this is just where the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. And if you'll allow me, I just want to read this into uh, your memory um, so that you can understand where we're going uh, when we get to the part where Moses spent some time there. So Exodus 19, verses 16 through 25, this is what it says. On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought, brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like, a, like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not, do not let the priest and the people break through to come up to the Lord, to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down, uh, went down to the people and told them. And lastly, 20 through, uh, chapter 20, 18 through 21. So after that, the Lord gives, Israel ten, gives Moses and Israel the Ten Commandments. And then this is what happens. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So this is a, this is a big part of the text, as you will see, so that's why I wanted to read it to you. Um, and just even in this, too, we just see the uniqueness of God. Who else speaks out of a fire? And who else speaks and you're like, yo, please don't talk to me. Talk to Moses so I don't die. Right? So there's, there's a difference here. So I just wanted to, to clarify that here. Um, and so like I said, first point here, let's just dive straight into it. Ask of the days that are past. Let me, re, let me reread verse 32 for you. For ask now the days that are past, which were before you, which was included, the theophany there, since the day that God created man on the earth, and asked from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened, or was ever heard of. Whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. So Moses begins, the, 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 this is the conclusion of his first address, and he wants Israel to do some historical thinking about what God has done in their life and what they have already, um, who they know God to be. 
And after this, because based on what God has done and the character of God, Moses is going to call them to obedience. All right? So quickly, quickly here, think about what we just read and think about how amazing that is. So Moses wants the people to understand, ask of the days that are past, recall to memory who you know God to be. So focus on the character of God. And we have to understand that faithful and right obedient living follows from a faithful and right understanding of who God is. We have to understand who God is for us to be obedient to the Lord, okay? Let's recall Proverbs 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and, instru- and instruction. And I'm not saying that knowledge is the goal. I'm not saying that we're, we're in it just for the knowledge and we know who God is, um, but we are in it because we have to worship for who God reveals himself to be. God is not some figment of our imagination that we just get to run to when we're in trouble uh, and, and we get to soothe our longings on just who we think that God is, but he has revealed himself to be who he is. He's not an, God isn't like an, an art piece that's on display in a museum where we get to, we get to articulate um, subjective speculation about how we interpret. But he's a solid, he is who he is. So that's why it's so important to understand who God is when we're worshiping him. We worship him for who he is, who he has revealed himself to be, not who we want him to be. And, and think about this too. Moses says, has anything, let's see, since the day that God created man on earth, okay, so we recount creation, has anything happened from one end, in, one end of heaven to the other, which, whether such a great thing has ever happened as this? So Moses is talking even about the creation of, of everything. That's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. And he's asking, has anything as great happened as this? What he's saying is, Look what the Lord has done for you. Look where you've came and look where you are. And in a sense, this is greater than what happened at creation. And so what, is this, what should this spoken or spark in the hearts of Israel? How? How are we here? How can a God who speaks mountains and waters and plains and tigers, whatever, into existence, and he's for us? And he's brought us out of the land of Egypt. It has to, it has to spark this motivation and this, this sense of, of humbleness, of realizing that we are finite beings. We have to consider our position before the Lord. Megan and I, on our honeymoon, we went to uh, San Diego. One of the first nights that we were there, um, after we went to In-N-Out, we... Um, we went to this place called La Jolla Coves, and what it is is just, it is just this beautiful, it's just a coast, and uh, I have seen the ocean from like South Carolina, that's it, not hating on Myrtle Beach, Myrtle Beach is awesome, but this is just on a different level, and it was just this beautiful, we stood on, we stood on these rocks, and there's seals there, and sea lions, and you can just see the coast for miles, and as of that, we were standing there, the only thing that I could recount is, and this God cares for me. And he created this. And he cares for me. And he loves me. Can you believe the graciousness of God and that all of creation, he still cares for us? 
And we can be honest, too. When we, think, when we consider the power of God, just like Israel, when they saw God on Mount Sinai and he was speaking out of fire, what did they say? Moses, please just talk to us. Don't let God talk to us because we're going to die. It's okay for us to understand and realize the power of God. But thankfully, even in a better sense, we can boldly approach the throne because of what God or what Jesus has done for us. We can, we, we can be comfortable in a sense with God, understanding his power, but in the sense of knowing that because of what Jesus has done for us, we can really know this God. And not from just a knowledge standpoint, but also a study and an understanding and an illumination of God's word. Okay, so I'll, I want you to see in contrast to the kindness and the power and the magnitude of God. I think it's important that we consider that when Israel is recounting all that they've seen, they're, they're going to think of the sin and their hardness of heart and the rebellion before the Lord. So think about this is a people who God has delivered out of Egypt, and this is what they say after the Lord de- delivers them out of Egypt. This is what they say to Moses. This is Exodus 16, verse 3. Did you bring us out of Egypt just so we can die by hunger? This is also a, this is also a people when, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, after receiving the, the Ten Commandments, what were they doing at the bottom of the mountain? This is what Exodus 32.1 says. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, catch this, the man who brought us out of Egypt, who brought them out of Egypt, they say it's Moses here. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Moses took too long on the mountain with the Lord, and after all that they have seen God do for them and deliver them out of Egypt, their first response is, up, let us make gods who will go before us. Disgusting. Rebellion. But I see myself there too. At first I was like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they, don't they understand who you're talking to? Like, who just talked to you out of fire? And I was like, yo, me too. And I think if you're honest with yourself, it's you too. So, I, 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 and let me be clear, I'm not calling you to dwell on your sin. Because we know it's forgiven in Christ and is cast as from the far as to the east. As to the, thank God it's as far as to the east as to the west. So, we, our position in Christ is secure but I only want to bring this up because it just pushes us to treasure the grace of God more in all that he has done for us, in all that he will do for us. Yet we are still sinners. And, it's, and we acknowledge that because it hurts. It hurts. And it's real. And it pushes us to treasure the grace of God more just as Michael told us this morning because we have a God who is faithful to his covenants. Thank you, God, because I am not. I am sometimes faithless. And I can assure you, just as Moses said, there is no greater thing that has happened, that we have a covenant-keeping God who goes to great lengths for his people who sometimes are unfaithful to the covenant. And let me ask you this. When we consider all that God has done for Israel and we consider all that God has done for your life, think of some specific, specific things that you know that God has done for you in your life. Do you continually reflect on the graciousness of God in your life? Do you humbly position your mind and your heart 
recalling the past grace of God to give you an understanding of who God is to prepare you to receive the future grace of God. God's past grace is just something that we can recall to memory because the Lord has given us memory as a blessing. We can remember what God has done. We can remember his character and his faithfulness. And it gives us hope and grace for the future when things are hard again. Or even when they're good. What do you reflect on? Or are you like me sometimes where I tend to just focus on myself? Yo, this is really hard. Let me be honest with you. 100% transparent. It was hard for me to prepare this. Because I was focusing on myself. What are they going to think? Am I going to do well? Am I, gonna, am I just going to sit up here and stutter for 30 minutes? Are we focusing on the, and I'm not saying this is a trial, because this is a joy. But do we focus on the trial more than we focus on the treasure? Do you, spend, do you tend to spend more time focusing on your pain and your hurt, which are things that we have to acknowledge? I'm not saying, this isn't a, this isn't, a, this isn't a, a thought where it's in the sense of, man, that was the hardest season of my life, but I'm okay. It's not a fake, just move on. It's a real understanding of, because of these hard things that have happened in my life, and because of the character of God, I can boldly work through those in grace and in love through the Father. Or even maybe you could find yourself in the opposite position, where you've been in a trial, you're, running, you're in the middle of a trial, in the midst of a trial, and you're just running from the Lord. And you're just choosing not to deal with it. But take heart that the Lord goes to great lengths to pursue and save his people. So as we, as we have realized that Moses calls Israel to reflect on the, the, the past grace of God, he gives us a more detailed picture of what that looks like in verses 33 so this is my second point. He is, li- he, he is like no other. Verses 33 through 38. Let me re- read that for you. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the, the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by great deeds of terror, all the which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown, so that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he lets you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he lets you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you into the land, to give you their land for an inheritance as an inheritance as it is this day. Moses is reminding Israel of the uniqueness of God. What other God has done this? Like I said, what other God speaks out of the fire? What other God has creation at his beckon? That he can just descend upon a mountain and appear in fire that is wrapped around the mountain. Let me read from one, uh, one a quote from one commentator I thought was really helpful here. This God is incomparable to anything. This God is independent of all that is common. He is set apart from the material world. It must be clear that everything within the common is dependent on him. But he is in no sense dependent on the common. Dependent on the common. And again, don't miss the uniqueness of God here. 
How wonderful is it that we have a God who has creation at his beckon, yet he still chooses to pursue sinners like you and me. What else is due this God other than praise in your life? Recall Job 38, verses 8 through 11. This is after Job questioned the Lord and God responded. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 38, 4. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst from the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said to the sea, thus far you shall come no further. Hear your proud waves and be stayed. And think about that, God controlling the sea. Where did the Lord lead them through? What sea did he, did he part and Israel went straight through? The Red Sea, they know this. They've seen this. In verse 34, as any God ever to go and take a nation for himself by the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, the parting of the Red Sea, they've seen God do this by wonders and by war. So think about the plagues. Recall the memory of all that God did to Israel, for Israel in Egypt. One of those is the plagues. Water into blood. Frogs, gnats, locusts, flies. Egyptian livestock dies. The boils, hail, locusts, and darkness. And then lastly, the death of the firstborn. Israel saw all of this. They were led through the Red Sea. They saw the, the, the character of God who provides for them when they were in the wilderness. Manabadeh. We see God's complete control over creation. Complete control over creation. And we also see God's complete control over the land. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself? I think that we've seen in history that there have been times where people have tried that and it hasn't gone so well. But for God, all for his glory. And in the two, and, and I must confess that Though I find the, the, the sovereignty and the control of God very, very comforting to me, which you should, but if I'm honest, sometimes it's a little scary. It's like, okay, we serve a God who is in complete control. And we can blame it, um, obviously, on our sinful heart, but either on our, on our culture, the political climate that we find ourselves in, or maybe that you just think you can control it better, but sometimes I find, I find thinking to myself, is it really okay that there's one person who holds all power? Like, think about the leadership that you know. Complete power corrupts completely, right? That's what my mind goes to. But that's not the case. Because why? Because we know who God is. And he's revealed himself through what he's done for Israel, showing I am for you. And you can trust me. And in, in all the earthly power that we see, the leaders, whatever you will, it's corrupt because they're not worthy of it. They're not worthy of the glory and the power that they hold. They're only in that power because God has given it to them. But we must understand that this God that we serve is worthy of all power and all glory that the world must offer. And it is for your good and my good that God is in complete control. It is for our good that everything that happens to us in life goes through the hand of God. Let me call it, uh, point your attention to verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God and there is no other besides him. And so 
I automatically thought and read into the text, to you it was shown that you might, not, that you might know that the Lord is God and that there is no others besides him. And I wanted to add, and it is for your good. But that's not what it says. It just says that there is, so that you will know that there is no other. So everything that Israel has gone through, it is, it is so that they will know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Why? Why, is it, why doesn't the text say, and it's for your good? Because the fact that we even know that there is no other and that the Lord is God, the goodness of that we even know that is already implied in the text. This is another quote here. This knowledge of God is nothing less than a gracious gift to Israel, a grace and a mercy that began with their fathers. So just the very knowledge of gift is a gracious gift, or the, is a gracious gift of God that we even know him. And how do we know him? Through his past actions, which we have here in Scripture, and then also through the illumination um, of Scripture in our life. And it points us to the fact that there is no action of God that is not for His glory. Therefore, there is no action of God that is not for our good. Everything that happens is for God's glory and for our good. Why do we know that? Because His actions just display his character, and his word only displays his character, okay? So we have action of God that's coupled with character of God, and we have word of God, which is also coupled with character of God. And there's no separation between those two things. Why? Because God never acts out of character, because he is who he is. So everything that he did for Israel was for their good, and everything that he does for us is for our good, but mainly for his glory. And because of that, there is an implied logical response that we have to be obedient to this God. We have to be obedient because it's for our best interest and because he's worthy of that. He deserves that. But obedience is easy when everything's going really well, right? Bank account is looking nice. You don't have stimulus checks anymore and it's still looking nice. But what about when times are really hard? What about just like Israel, we find ourselves in really, really long and hard seasons of suffering? How do we, how do we make sense of that? Because if, if what we have concluded from the text, it was for the good of Israel that they were in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years, and that's really long. But we have to recall the memory that the suffering that we experience is not outside of the sovereignty of God, but it's at the heart of it. Because somehow in God's providence, those hardest times in your life, the most difficult times in your life, will be some of the ones that push you closer and into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And that's for your good. And that's for you, His glory. Because when, when, when we... Some of you have gone to seminary and took Greek and Hebrew, but I'm, I'm assuming some of you also took Spanish, French, whatever it may be, maybe even English, whatever. But you know when we, when we get into language question, we start doing like the, the parsing? I was never very good at that. So anyway, so we break, we break words down to see the tense, what they mean. But when we parse suffering, when we really break it down, the purpose is twofold. God's glory and to know him. And how does Paul interpret this? 
And we know that for all who love God, all things work together for good. Knowing God is for your good. And your suffering forces you and pushes you to know God. But remember what Israel went through. Not only were they enslaved for 40 years, not only did they see the, the, see the Red Sea part, but let's not forget about the, world, the wars that they fought, right? Like when we talk about, it, when, I was, when I was studying the book of Deuteronomy, it hit me. Okay, when they talk about defeating other nations, I'm like, yo, they had swords. And like they had to use them. It's not just like, oh, they just, had the, you know, they just were in a war and then they just decided, played rock, paper, scissors. Okay, you win, whatever. Like they legit fought people. They legit killed people. Like, what? Church, I'm afraid that we just forget that sometimes we're going to have to fight some wars. And we just lay down. Because we're like, I didn't sign up for this. I thought everything was going to be easy. You said you're going to take away my sin, and I'm good. But we've got some wars to fight. And, I'm not, and trust me, I'm not saying you're going to, you need to go take a sword and fight somebody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about your sin, your flesh. And, who, and by the way, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but who fought for you? And who will continue to fight for you? And these wars that I'm talking about, they're not just on social media. Maybe a war that you need to fight is just delete it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's one step towards victory that God's already given you. But every word of God and every action of God, there is fullness of purpose. There is no emptiness. His, his word doesn't return what? Void. God's always good on his promise. That's my hope. And then a part of that suffering, out of heaven he lets you hear his voice so that he might discipline you. Have you considered if God just didn't discipline us what our lives might look like? Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 7. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. The discipline in your life, of the, the, the discipline of the Lord in your life proves the kindness of God in your life. So what if you don't see it? What if you don't see it? Maybe there's a different question to ask. Am I really trusting in the Lord? Because we know that God disciplines those who he loves. Am I really who I think I am in Christ? Or maybe it's just this. Again, we're just, we're just focusing on the trial and not the treasure of our trial, not the, not the, the holiness and the faithfulness to God that it, that it produces. So we see that God disciplines those who he loves. But we also see that God chooses those whom he loves based on his glory. Verse 37, and because he loves your fathers and chose their offspring. All right, so it wasn't because Israel did anything great that God chose them. It's because God wanted to do something great through Israel that he chose them. And not only did he choose them for his own glory, but we see that God fights for his people for his, for his own glory. 
Because it wasn't Israel who brought themselves out of the land. Remember when the people were focused on themselves and they said, the man that brought us out of Egypt. We don't know where he is. But it was God who brought him out of Egypt. Because it was your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence and by his great power. God's showing a covenant, his faithful covenant to his people. Remember in Genesis 12 when God initiated the covenant with Abraham? Verses, Genesis 12, 7 says, remember, it says, to your offspring I will give this land. So God is ushering, fighting for a people to give them a land that he promised to Abraham. But look here at what Psalm 106, 7 says. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his known his, that he might make known his mighty power. You, know, you can take it to the bank that if God starts something and calls you to something, he's going to finish it because it's not based on you, and it's not ultimately for you. Now, listen, I am not saying that there are not implications. Because God has a deep love and articulate personal care for each of us. And it's for our benefit. But it's not about you. And not only was it God who chose Israel, but it was, or not only was it God who only chose them, but we see that it was the Lord who brought, out Egypt, or brought Israel out of Egypt. And like I said before, they fought nations that were greater and mightier than, you, than them. It is because of God's glory, goodness, and his strength that he gave Israel the land of other nations. Also, who can just give people land? God. How undeserving are we of the gifts of God? But how deserving of God is for his glory who graciously gives us all things that we need. So what does that mean for us? Knowing that he gives us all that we need. That means if there is a desire of your heart and you don't have it, it's because it's not for your good right now. And it's not what will bring him most glory right now. And that's okay. Because I don't ever want to be in a place where just because I want something so bad and I fight to get something so bad, that it's not good for me. Because I think that we've been there sometimes. There's been things, decisions that we have made because we thought it would go well for us. But we can rest assured that we know that God is for his glory and our good. And we can trust in that. So in your suffering, there can be great pain and great sorrow. But remember that there is purpose in that suffering. And that purpose is for the glory of God. So get real practical here. We just had a baby six months ago. Love her to death. Yo, listen, my wife was in a dark room holding that baby for four months. And I'm not saying that it's suffering because it is a joy, but also as a dad, I'd have no clue that was a part of it. But even the fact that she did that, there is the purpose of God in that. It was for the Lord's glory and her good. And you could be transitioning from one of the hardest seasons of your life. You could be walking through one of the hardest seasons of your life right now Take heart in the character of God 
that he is acting for his glory and your good. Or you might be in a season where you are just getting destroyed by sin right now. And you are, feel like you are failing day in and day out. This could be a sin that you've struggled with for years. This could be a new sin that you thought, oh, I never thought that I'd be struggling with this. God is fighting for you. And just as he conquered things that were t- nations that were too great and too mighty for Israel, what else would he do for you? It's the same God. And then some of you, when you hear obedience, you're like, all right, I got to get myself in order. I got to do this. I got to do that. And just as Michael reminded us, you are already loved. You're not fighting. I think this is, you said this last week. You're not fighting towards victory, right? We already have it in Christ. It's already ours. That's the motivation is that what we can't do, he's already done for us. And you are more than conquerors in Christ. More than conquerors in Christ because God is for his glory. So when you are being a conqueror in Christ and when you are fighting your sin, don't think about it just as for you. Because it, it is. It is. It's about you, but not ultimately for you. It's for the glory of God. So we've seen all of these things that God has done for his people. So what's the response? What do we do with that? How do we be obedient to this God? Let me draw your attention to verse 39. This is my fourth point. I'm going to wrap this up. Just be faithful, for there is no other. Know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his commandments and his statutes, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. So Moses is reiterating the point to Israel that there is no other. And we're just going to recall again, how do they know that there is no other? Because they've seen what God has done for them. And they know that there's no one else who could have done it. Because they've seen that that Yahweh has, God has been gracious to them. They've seen that he is the sovereign over all creation and all people. They said because they know that God delivers his people. God provided manna for them in the wilderness and he is kind to them. He let them hear his voice out of the fire. And he performed signs and wonders. But here's the thing. It's not just because God said words that we obey. It's because who it is that said the words that we obey. And this obedience, it's not a suggestion. Right? This is the only thing that we can, well, it's the only thing that we should do. We have another option. And I'm not sure if you remember what happened to the Egyptians. And that might seem harsh and cruel, but not when God is deserving of all glory and all honor. But here's the good news. We can trust that obedience is good for us because how did God reveal himself? He said what? I am. Not I am on Tuesdays or sometimes. He revealed himself as who he is. He is concrete. There's no action, there's no thought of God that is misrepresentative of who God is. Some of you, some of the, some of the hardest times in mine and Megan's marriage is when I or her have acted out of character of who we thought the other person was. 
So I think that if you recount your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, whatever, it really hurts when you believe someone to be who they are, who they've revealed themselves to be, and they do something that proves otherwise. That's really painful. But we can trust that that's not how it is with God. Because understand that the words, just the words good, and the words faithful, they find their meaning in the character of God. Right? Constant. We only understand the meaning of these, these words because God has revealed himself. And we can see a perfect display of goodness and a perfect display of faithfulness in the character of God. And, there's a, and, and also, this obedience isn't always going to be easy, right? It's not always going to be easy. But it, Moses does say, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments that I've given you today, that it may go well. It will go well, but it might not be easy. So our obedience to God is not characterized by how easy or how hard it is. But also we have to remember the context of these addresses. This is to all of Israel, right? This is not just specific, Michael, be obedient. Moses, be obedient. So when we think of our obedience to God, we have to also think about it in the collectiveness of our body. It is, good, it is for the good of you and New Breed Church when you are obedient to God. Because God is saving a people, individuals of a people, and bringing them to himself. So when you, when you are struggling with sin, when you are fighting sin day in and day out, remember, it's not just you you're fighting for. It's for our body. And it is good when we are obedient to God because it is good for our body. And on the flip side of that, when we are unfaithful, it is to the detriment of our body. And I'm not saying that one person makes up new breed, right? Christ is the head of the church. It's his church. But our obedience matters to our body. So lastly, what is the end goal? What does it matter if Israel is good or is obedient to God? Is it just so they will enter the land? Because that's something that we always just talk about, Israel getting to the land. And it's important. But the end goal isn't just the physical land. So what is the end goal? It's God. Why is the land so special? Listen to Deuteronomy 11, verses 11 through 12. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the, rain from, by the rainfall from heaven, a land that the Lord your God cares for. There it is. The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. It's, there's nothing really special about the land physically in and of itself. The only thing special about it is because God had prepared it for Israel. And he kept his eyes on it when? From the beginning of the end to the end of the year. And he caused it to rain. And he caused the ground to flourish. So when they got there, it would be fertile and it would provide for them. It's not just about the physical blessing of the land, but note this. Just as the land flourishes because, God, because God's eyes are on it and he prepares the land, he causes it to rain on the land, so much so, how is it for us when we are obedient to God? Because when obedience to the Lord produces flourishing, and just as the land will flourish, his people will flourish when, when, when we are obedient to him. 
when we follow the commands and the statutes of God. So in your obedience, what are you focusing on? What am I focusing on? Is it, I want to be obedient to God so I can enjoy the physical blessings of being obedient to God? Or is it, I want to be obedient to God because this God is worthy of my life and my obedience. And, 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 and he is due glory. I mean, think to this, the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify and fully enjoy God forever. That is our goal. That is, that is why we are here, to glorify and fully enjoy God forever. So brothers and sisters, we can't take this command of God to be holy lightly. They are not just the words of God, but they display the very, very character of God. So what does his obedience look like? What does the Lord want? What, is, what does it look like fleshed out? Deuteronomy 10 says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding, for you, to, commanding you today for your good. Verse 16, Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. Stubborn. That's Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 13 and 16. So think about this. They've been there in, in the wilderness for 40 years. Just wandering, walking, living. Don't you think that after 40, after 40 years, they're like, all right, we should probably be obedient to God. Too long. This is hard. We've got to get this over with. Like, just love God. Just be obedient. Come on, please. Don't you think that would be enough motivation? But see, here's the thing. It's not about, it's not just we're just going to play the part and do what God wants us to do in a sense of action. But there's a problem right here. There's a problem with the heart. They can't. They can't be obedient in and of themselves. They can't fix it in and of themselves. Don't you see yourself there too? I find myself there. Man, I tried for a really long time to be obedient to God and just realized this ain't going to work out. I can't. But who has done everything else for Israel up to this point? Who else has fixed every problem? Listen to, verse, listen to Deuteronomy 36. Remember what Moses called them to, to do, or the Lord called them to do in chapter 10? Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and don't be stubborn. Deuteronomy 36 says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul so that you may live. Moses demonstrates how saving grace always works. That was a quote from Daniel Block. How does he demonstrate that? Because it's the Lord who's going to circumcise their heart. It's the Lord who fixes the problem. Once again, we see God save Israel. He does for them what they can't do. Because of the circumcision of heart, they'll be obedient. Because they have a new heart, just like we, ha- we need a new heart. Church, let me remind you of your former, even your present state. You are a sinner in need of a God. And you can't be obedient to that God, which he commands you to. We find ourselves making golden calves out of anything and everything we can. 
whether it be pornography, whether it be sex, whether it be your job, whether it be your family, whatever, how you appear to other people, whatever. But let me recall to you this in Romans. But God shows his own love and love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Church, listen to me. The same arms that were at work delivering Israel from Egypt, fighting for them, defeating nations, providing for them, defeating nations that were mightier and greater than, than they were. Church, those are the same arms that stretched on the cross. And it was the same purpose from Deuteronomy 4. It was a foreshadowing of the deliverance of Egypt would be the deliverance for us from our sin. And because of this, because of what Christ has done for us, we can live. And it'll go well for us because Jesus has already been obedient for us. And he's already won the battle for us. And remember this, church, as we wrap up. Jesus is our only hope. And I don't mean only hope is like some like, oh, they sinned, I didn't know they were going to sin, I guess I'll give my son. He was plan A. It's not some type of wing it. But it was planned through the sovereignty of God. And it is the per- it's, it's literally the best thing for us that Jesus is our only hope. It is the best, how kind of God that our, on- our only hope, our last resort, if you will, is the best thing for us. So church, leave this place declaring with your mind, your mouth, and your soul that this faithful, covenant-keeping, sinner-pursuing, and life-sustaining, sin-conquering God is for you. Walk in that victory. The battle has already been won. And when you suffer, know it's only so that you will know that there is no other. Church, let me leave you with this. Before Moses dies in chapter 32 in Deuteronomy, he says this to to Israel. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going, going over to the Jordan to possess. Church, our obedience to God is no empty matter. So take hold of what Christ has done for you on your behalf and love him and pursue him and pursue faithfulness, loving his body and his church well and telling others of how through your suffering and your life, listen, there is no other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are so kind to us, God. Thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Thank you for your son. Thank you for sending Jesus to to give us a new heart because you know that we couldn't save ourselves, Father. I pray that you will be with us as we leave this place, that we will love you well, and that we will seek to be obedient to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.